Give it up for the band. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to have Christy come up and read the scripture tonight. And we are in Genesis 12, 1 to 9. You can. Thank you. Appreciate it. So I know that a lot of you like the Olympics, especially the Summer Olympics, and especially Michael Phelps. Anyone? From Baltimore? Okay. Um, He grew up in Towson, and, you know, he's, I guess he's been in three different Olympics. He has 22 total medals, which is an all-time record for an Olympian, 18 gold. And one of those little outtake stories they did was very interesting. They were talking with his mother, Debbie, Debbie Phelps. And when Michael was 11 years old, his coach, Bob Bowman, approached her and basically said, we need to talk about Michael. And we need to talk about his life to see what he wants to do. Because he has an incredible potential. And they need to make a decision about Michael's future. What it would take to go to the Olympics. This is when he's 11 years old. He had that much. He could see it. And so he literally set out this road map for what it would take. Practice schedules. um, Diet. Diet. Grueling workouts, a.m. morning workouts before school, weight training, exercise, calorie, food intake, sleep programs, swim competitions, everything. They laid it all out there. And Bowman saw the raw potential and the talent in Michael. And obviously, you know, it came to fruition as his Olympic career uh, processed. And he wins all these medals. And I don't know if he's going to try the fourth in 2016. But or no, when is it? 2016? So I think he said he's retired, but you never know. A lot of people think of Christianity and the gospel kind of like that. That God looks down on us and he sees some sort of potential in us. And he says, you know what? That person's got a lot of potential. I'm going to go and shed my grace on them. 
because of that. A lot of people think that's how God looks at us, that it's some kind of give and take of kind of what our actions are and what God's actions are, kind of this synergistic idea. And what I want to say tonight is that's absolutely not what we see in the Bible, and it's not what we see in this story with Abraham. That actually Abraham was an outsider. He was a nobody. He was not a Jewish person. He was the one that started the Jewish nation, okay? He was a Gentile, and God reached down and chose him outside of anything in and of himself. This is how God works. And so... What I want to really hopefully capture tonight is that this God is a God of amazing grace and blessing. And he comes into Abraham's life. And I'm going to mix up Abram and Abraham. I'm sorry, because that's just how I am. But at this point in the story, his name is Abram. It hasn't been changed yet, but I'm going to probably say Abraham. So just excuse that. I'm talking about the same guy. So what we're going to look at is just this amazing gospel blessing that God has this vision for Abram's life. But it's all about his grace being bestowed onto him. It's all about his grace being bestowed. And so it's a vision of grace. He comes to Abram and he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. This is the amazing, amazing vision that God has for Abram's life. But what I want to say again is it's all about God and what he's doing. So first thing about this vision of grace is it goes to an outsider. It goes to somebody totally unexpected. We automatically think, like I said, Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. Well, he must be from Israel. If you don't know your Bible, you just think, I guess Abraham was Jewish and somehow God related. Well, he lived in this place called Ur of the Chaldeans. Okay, and this is, if you know your Middle East geography, it's kind of near the Persian Gulf, kind of near where Kuwait is. Okay, so if you think of the Mediterranean's way over here and like where Israel... So he is way over here, okay, Uh, 1,500 miles, basically, from where he will land. He was in Ur of the Chaldeans. It was noted as, in archaeological circles, a very high-tech city for its day. They worshipped moon god, the moon god there. They didn't know anything about the god of the Bible. So remember last week we talked about the Tower of Babel and how the nations spread out. In chapter 11. Well, they spread out and most of them worshipped other gods. They rejected this God of the Bible and they began to worship other gods. And so in Ur, the Chaldeans are worshipping the moon god. So he was totally not someone you would say, hey, let's start a religion with this guy that works worships the moon god. It wasn't like he was seeking after God. He was... Worshipping this pagan god that his family worshipped. Secondly, his wife was barren. And we find that out later uh, in the story. If you're gonna if you're gonna bless somebody and say, I'm gonna make a great nation out of you, at least you could check and see, like, is she having any kids? Well, she was barren. So he worships idols. His wife is barren. Um, he's not from Israel. He's without a family line. There's a, there's a big problem here. So what qualified him 
for God's grace? Well, the answer is nothing. And that's the thing about grace. It's not about you. It's not about your talents. It's not about your gifts. It's not about your GPA. It's not about your family heritage. It's not about how hard you try. It's not about anything you can do. This is the amazing thing that levels us when we talk about God's grace. American Christianity has kind of forgotten this. They've said it's some sort of combination of like we do, we do something and God does something. That's not Christianity. Christianity is Jesus does everything for us. God comes down in the form of Jesus and Jesus lived the life that we were supposed to live and he dies the death that we deserved. And he does it all perfectly for us. That really what the gospel is all about is this substitution of Jesus for me. His grace for me. But it goes totally against everything in our being. Because in, in, an, in our hearts, we're all about, I've got to earn this. I mean, we're here at the University of Maryland, right? You've got to earn your grade, your GPA. I mean, you're working hard. And you're, you're seeking to do as best you can. And at the end of the semester, they're going to give you a grade. You earned it. But the gospel is counterintuitive. It's what Jesus does for us. And literally saying, I can't do anything in and of myself. So God is the one who knocks. God is the one who initiates. God's the one who breaks into this little old guy's life in Ur of the Chaldeans. And he chooses him and he says, I'm going to make, I'm going to bless the socks off of you. And I'm going to bless you so much. You're going to bless, you're going to be so full of blessing and grace that you're going to bless the entire world. And this is the start right here. So do you feel like an outsider? Do you feel like you're broken by sin? You're broken by idolatry. You're broken by your shame. You're confused. Well, guess what? You qualify. Because it's not about you. It's about looking outside of yourself and saying, I need a perfect Savior. I need Jesus. I need this God who sheds His grace on people like Abraham and He sheds His grace on people like you. So what qualifies you for grace is God and His grace. Nothing you can do. It's just simply belief and acceptance. And that's the beauty. That's the difference between Christianity and you know every other religion that's out there. You know, every other world religion is pretty much saying, you know, you have to follow this path, you know, the eightfold path of Buddhism or the five pillars of Islam, you know, or you've got to um, live a, a good life and help the poor and then you're going to come back and be reincarnated and finally someday reach nirvana. Or, you know, this is what people believe, that it's, it's all up to you. This is how Christianity is so different and why I believe it. Like, who would think up something like that? In our own pride and in our own mind, yeah, it's all about I'm going to do this, I'm going to have these good works, and God's going to accept me. And Christianity says even your good works are like filthy rags. You need Jesus. The good works come after you have Jesus and you're motivated by His grace and love. But... The beginning of it starts with grace and grace alone and what God is doing. So, have you thought about this God of grace? Have you thought about His coming to you like He came to Abraham? What else do we learn about this vision of grace? Well, the Gospel brings blessing. 
big part of this passage in 2 and 3 is just this fact that God, like I said, is going to bless the socks off of Abraham. And he says, um, first, he's blessing him with land. He says, go to the land, I will show you. And so God is going to take this guy from Ur of the Chaldeans and give him this new land. But he doesn't tell him where. But he says, I'm going to promise you land. You're going to, there's going to be a place where you're going to meet me. And this is kind of interesting. You know, if you think back, we looked at Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and the Garden of Eden. You know, God created this world and he created the Garden of Eden as a special place where Adam and Eve would meet with God. Remember? And they commune with God. They walk with God. It was a bountiful, beautiful, blessed place with all kinds of goodies in it. They could eat anything, but they chose not to. Uh, they chose to go against God's command to eat of the tree, and they get kicked out of the of the garden. And to some extent, that's a picture of them being taken away from God's presence and taken away from a place where they could commune with God. And what God is doing here with Abraham is He's now beginning to say, "I'm going to create a land for you, the promised land, a place where I'm going to come and dwell." with you and with your descendants after you. I'm going to inhabit this place. So it's kind of like a reversal of what happened in Genesis 3 where they're kicked out and they're spread out all over the earth. And now God's saying, no, I'm going to bring you back and I'm going to, I'm going to plant myself and dwell with my people in this promised land. And really, that was a picture of what is ultimately going to happen when God comes back again and He's going to dwell on the whole, earth, the new heaven and the new earth. He's going to come back with a loud noise. Uh, he's going to make this new heaven and this new earth a place where he's going to dwell with his people for all time. And so, what is God doing? He's showing us in in just seed form that there's going to be a land for Abraham and his family. It's going to be a land of blessing. And so, the gospel is really all about that: God dwelling with man in a place. You know, that's why we prayed for this place, because ultimately God wants to redeem this place. You know, the new heavens and the new earth are this place without sin. It's remade, reformed by God. I don't understand it. It's a mystery. But that's the picture of the Bible gives us. It's not we go to a place in a, you know, away from here and we're with the angels playing harps, nothing wrong with harps, you know, in the clouds all day. For millions and billions of years, heaven, the new heavens and the new earth is what Jesus says, started in a garden. And in Revelation, we have a city, it says, the new Jerusalem, which comes down. So there's this idea of place. It's very near and dear to God's heart. He's going to dwell with his people in a place. He's doing that in the promised land with Abraham. He's going to make him a great nation. That's another thing here. And this is crazy, too, because, like I said, Sarai is barren. She can't have children. And yet God is saying, Abram, I'm going to make you and your family a great nation. Not just a nation, a great nation. It's going to be huge. There's going to be people we know from Revelation, from every tribe and tongue and language and people group that are going to be part of this great nation, this great family. The gospel is really ultimately about God beginning his salvation through 
this man, Abraham and Sarai, and their family and spreading it to the world. What a blessing it's going to be. And this, you know, you should think about this too, because the gospel is bound up in family, it's bound up in community, it's bound up in the people of God. You know, the gospel is not just me and Jesus. It's part, that's part of it. But it's really me and Jesus in the family of God, in this community. And so, to some extent, you have the seed of the gospel even here where God is going to bless him and make him a people. Where God will be our God and we will be his people. And then he says this, you will be a blessing. It says, verse 3, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so he's giving Abraham a distinct blessing. And he's basically saying, I'm going to bless you so much that you will just overflow and bless others. Others will desire to be near you. Nations will come to you. People will want to be, will want to have what you have. They want to, they want to be a friend of God. And it'll be so attractive that the nations will come and they will worship. And this is really the pictures we have all through the prophets in Isaiah and Jeremiah. The nations desire to come and worship in the promised land with the people of God. At the same time, there's also a narrowness in this blessing because at the, in verse 3 it says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors, dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, wow, this, is, this blessing kind of has a condition to some extent. And what God is saying to Abraham is that he and his family will ultimately determine the fate of the world. Those that bless Abraham, God will bless. And those that curse Abraham, God will curse. What is God doing here? Well, as we think about this in our you know, postmodern ears, it sounds very narrow. How could God just choose one family in the world and that be kind of the gatekeeper for his truth and his blessing? But you have to fast forward this. Um, it's a mystery. But God is actually saying that through this family down the line, he's going to bring Jesus. You know, and Jesus is called the seed of Abraham in Galatians. Um, that the seed of faith comes down through Abraham's line. If you look at the genealogies of Jesus in, in Matthew and in Luke. And in, in Galatians, it says this in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Here's how he preached the gospel. In you, Abraham, shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So God is saying, back in the Old Testament, Abraham, I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And at the same time, he's saying that as Abraham's seed develops into Jesus, Jesus is saying the same thing. This is where the gospel becomes narrow. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That sounds very harsh and very narrow. 
to a world that says, no, every religion is the same. Every, everything's okay. You can believe whatever you want. And in the Old Testament and in the New, God is saying, no, I've created you. I know you. But my truth is real. And Jesus is the one who reveals the truth of God. And he's saying, you know, come to me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's absolute. It's very narrow. And ultimately, the blessing of God means we have to bow to His reality. You have to bow to Jesus and say, I want that blessing. I want you. I need you. I can see that I'm a sinner. I can see that I don't deserve life. You created me. I submit to your authority. I submit to this narrow way. Because through that, you'll be blessed. So, the abundant vision of grace goes to the outsider. The abundant, the abundant vision of grace is full of blessing and also a condition, a narrowness. And then we see also, how is the gospel received in this passage? This is the last thing. And it's ultimately received by faith. Abraham received the covenant promise of God by faith. How do we know this? Well, look look what he does. As soon as God appears to him, um, in verse 4, it says, So Abraham went, Abram went, as the Lord had told him. So he goes. He follows God. He hears this amazing blessing, this amazing adventure that God has in store. He doesn't know really any of the details, but guess what? He believes in the God who told him, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. God appears to him. And he he goes. He leaves. He leaves his home country. He leaves his familiar territory. He leaves Ur of the Chaldeans, which was a highly technological place at that time. And he goes to an unknown place that he doesn't know anything about. It's a pretty amazing step of faith. He leaves his heritage, his flag, his king, his government, whatever that was there. Uh, He leaves his family. It says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. And so he's called to leave all of his family connections. He can no longer worship the God of his fathers or the idols of his family group, his father is no longer to be his ultimate authority. That was different in that culture. Everyone followed their father. So Abram believes God so much that he says, this God of the Bible is going to be my ultimate authority. What about us? What about you? I think this is important. I think this relates to us. Because a lot of times people can really be what I would call maybe under their parents' uh, wing in such a way that you can't be free to follow God. I don't know know what your situation is like. But, you know, we love our parents and we're called to honor our parents. You know, to love them, to honor them. And at the same time, God has created you and called specifically you. To, to the faith. 
um, by grace. And so, when you become a Christian, you have to say, you know, God is my ultimate Father. Jesus is my brother and the Holy Spirit is my guide. You have to say, the one who created me and my family is my ultimate authority. Sometimes that's hard. But to truly be, to truly grow in your Christian faith and have the freedom to, to grow in your faith, sometimes you have to repent of, God, am I too tied to my parents that I don't know who I am or what my purpose is or what I'm going to do? Maybe I'm just doing everything because they've told me to do these things. And if you come to God and said, I love my parents, but God, you are my God. Guide me. Show me. You know, tell me what you want me to do with my life. That's hard. Sometimes that's really hard. But that's what Abraham had to do. He had to cut ties. That's what faith was calling him to do. Now, God gave abundant blessing and grace as well. It wasn't just like, oh, he's on his own. But God was leading him all the way. But to become a Christian to some extent is not just because maybe your parents are a Christian and you're somehow connected with them. But to become a Christian means you individually before the Lord say, God, I'm a big sinner. I need your grace. I need Jesus. It's all about you and your decision uh, with the Lord and, and responding to his grace uh, like Abram did. And so this division even goes into the New Testament. Sometimes, you know, in Matthew, Jesus says this, and it's kind of harsh. He says, do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace with a sword. This is classic Jesus. For I have, not, I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. It's in Matthew 10. He's using hyperbole a little bit there. But at the same time, he's saying there's got to be an ultimate allegiance. The one who loves me, um, you have to love the Lord Jesus more than your, your folks, more than your family ties. And if you make any other voice your ultimate allegiance, you'll be in bondage. That's the, that's the crazy thing about faith. If you make anything other than God, who's your creator, your ultimate allegiance, you'll ultimately be, be in bondage to them. You know, and that could be a friend. It could be a relationship you're in. It could be your parents. It could be your boss. It could be countless other people. But true faith sets us free. Faith in Jesus sets us free. The other thing here is faith worships. And you see that as Abraham moves into the promised land. Um, he comes, it says in verse 6, Abraham passed through the land. They came through the land of Canaan. Abraham, Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And it's emphasizing the fact that Canaanites, we know, as, as we go forward, they were Baal worshippers. They worshipped all kinds of idols again. And what does Abraham do? It says, well, the Lord appeared again. Again, grace to him. Uh, and he gives him the promise, I'm going to give you this land. And then Abraham builds an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And this is significant because Abraham is worshiping. Abraham 
is acknowledging that, yes, this God is promising me this, and he is worshiping the Lord. In the middle of the Canaanites, he's setting up an altar in the place where they do a lot of, of their, uh, the Oak of Moray, a place where they would do their Canaanite Baal worship. He's saying, no, the God, my God, the God of Abraham, the invisible God, the God who created everything, I'm worshiping him. And he was worshiping him with an altar, which is significant because the altar signifies a sacrifice. A sacrifice that Abraham knew, again, that he was undeserving to worship God on his own. That he needed blood. He needed an animal to be cut and burned. And that whole significance was that he's saying that I cannot come to God on my own. I'm a sinner. But I need you. I need this represent, representation, this substitute. Blood spilled for me so that I can be covered and I can come to you. And that really is the seed form of the whole sacrificial system we have in the Old Testament. We see it here. Uh, Noah did it as well. And it comes into fruition more as we go through Genesis. But Abraham is worshiping God. His faith um, is displayed in worship and in sacrifice. So, you know, this, this calls us back again to this picture of the gospel. That Abraham is trusting not his works, not his abilities, not the fact that he just traveled 1,500 miles through the wilderness to come to this place. Like, I made it, God. Am I acceptable? No. Animal sacrifice. He's saying, I'm still a big sinner. I need your provision. I need what you can give me. And so Abraham is called the father of our faith. You know, when you think of Abraham, think faith. Later on, three chapters later, it says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That his whole life uh, is one of faith. He falls a lot too. There's a lot of sin. We'll see that next week. But he's one who continues to go back to the Lord and say, I can't do it. But you can. You're the God of grace. And you have this vision, this incredible blessing, this incredible vision for my life. And it's all about you. It's all about what you're going to do. And nothing about what I'm going to do. So let me pray. Jesus, thanks for this story, Lord, that's true and it's real about Your grace to Abraham, how You called him from nowhere. He was a nobody and You said, I'm going to make... I'm going to make you a somebody for me and to be a blessing to the world. Father, You give us those same callings, Lord, through Jesus um, who came and, and died for us and rose for us and calls us to be a blessing uh, to the nations, to this place, to roommates. So, Lord, help us to live out our faith in that way. Help us to worship to continue to remember that it's not about us, it's about you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.